One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan. On today's episode, Roisin Ingle is joined by comedian Joanne McNally. The Dubliner spoke to Roisin about making the move to the UK, what it's like living in a house with four single women, and how she's finally decided to just trust the process. But first, Rosita Boland is here for a chat. Rosita, I don't think we can go into anything else before we discuss Greta Thunberg and her impact on this year's news and her latest extraordinary achievement. So it was this week it was announced that Greta um, had been made Time magazine person of the year and she's the youngest person ever to achieve this. She's only 16. It's an extraordinarily influential assignation by the the magazine, which shows that the media still has power uh, because people are always interested, really interested to know who will be the person of the year. And it's 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 wonderful. And it's been an extraordinary year for her. She has become the symbol of so many things, um, youth and determination and focusing with laser precision on the climate change catastrophe that we're all in the middle of. And I think it's also really interesting that um, on the 7th of September of this year, my colleague Jennifer O'Connell published um, a column entitled Why is Greta Thunberg so triggering for certain men? And that has gone on to be our most read article ever on irishtimes.com. It's, to date, it's received more than two million page views. It's been read all over the world. And I think that when you look at what the headline on that opinion column was, um, she was so, uh, Jennifer was so onto something there because it attracted so many comments. It had such readership. It's and it's clear that um, Greta Thunberg is extraordinarily polarizing for for many people. Yeah, and you'd wonder if people are actually listening to what she's saying rather than looking at her as a sixteen-year-old girl. I mean, I watched her in Madrid this week, talking about needing holistic solutions and accusing various sort of developed countries of of cheating on their on their emission figures. And this morning I heard a discussion on on Radio 4 where people were saying she was dead right. Experts were saying she was dead right. And she uses science all the time to back up what she's saying. So no matter what age she is, the fact is what she's saying is true and based on real science. So have you any theories yourself, Rosita, as to why Greta is so triggering to middle-aged men, certain middle-aged men? Well, I think that for part of the reason is that it's so easy for people to let lots of facts and figures just wash over us without focusing on anything particular. But she has, in a way, I suppose because she is so associated with being an activist for climate change, she has, it, it's impossible to ignore a 16-year-old saying these. Uh, she's basically become the face of what's a, a, an amorphous debate for a lot of people. I mean, climate change is is such a huge phrase and 
although it affects all of us, it hasn't been until now, it hasn't really had a particular person or a group of people attached to it. It's um, in the way that, you know, as reporters, we, we're always trying to put faces to um, statistics to make them more understandable and more relatable. And she has somehow, through her amazing determination and through, you know, we're in an age of social media and where information can spread around the world. So much more quickly than it could. She has become um, somebody who's become uh, unignorable. So in a way, when you have somebody representing something which has been so amorphous, it can't but become personal to some degree. Well, isn't it the most magnificent outcome that she is now Time Magazine Person of the Year, which I saw Donald Trump being being, uh, predicted for earlier on last week. Now, whether that was by his own PR people or what, I don't know. But anyway, it's, it's, it's actually a wonderful outcome and we can't but be delighted about it, can we? Well, we look forward to um, his tweet congratulating Indeed. Greta on I her. I think we're still waiting on it a whole 24 hours later. Now, Rosita, you yourself have had a pretty amazing year. Your podcast, Atlantic, was nominated for a journalism award. You had a book out. Tell us a bit about your year. Well, every every day is different in journalism. So a year is like a million, <laughs> million, a million years in journalism years. But um, I got to work on a great project this year. It was a, a three part narrative podcast called Atlantic. And the story is classic mystery. It is about a the body of a man that was found dead on Ross's Point Beach in June 2009. And This man had checked into a Sligo hotel a few days previously and given what emerged to be a false name of Peter Bergman and all his possessions that he had brought with him had vanished by the time his body was found. He'd been disposing of them. He had concealed his true identity. Nobody knows how he arrived in Ireland. He'd cut the labels off his clothes. Um, The police, despite intensive investigations here in Ireland and via Interpol have not been able to establish his true identity. Even though we have very clear photographs of his face from CCTV and it's extraordinary to me that somebody can go missing in uh, 2009 in a in an era where our images are captured so often and I mean his the image of his face was distributed all over the world. But nobody has ever come forward to say they know who he is or to claim him or say that they have uh, he has been missed. And as uh, one of the guards that I was uh, dealing with in Sligo on this case, and they were so helpful to me, um, he said this is the complete opposite of the usual challenge that we have, that, you know, we have people who, who go missing and there is no body. But here we have a body and we have no idea who it is. So Peter Bergman is buried in an unmarked grave in Sligo Cemetery. And it is remains everybody's hope that we will at some point find out who he was. So the podcast was I spent about two and a half months working on the story. So I went to Sligo a few times. I found as many people as I could to interview who had come in contact with him. 
from people who had who had seen him walking around the town to the police who worked on the case to the man who found him dead on the beach on the 16th of June 2009. I saw the clothes that he had been wearing, which had been folded and left on rocks on the beach. Were they good clothes, Rosita? Were they, were they, were they quality garments? Well, they were just very ordinary, very ordinary clothes, trousers, jumper, um, shoes, a shirt that he was wearing when he left the hotel that day was not among those clothes, so we don't know what happened that. But when the the, the man in Sligo Garda Station was uh, taking them out of their specimen bags to show me, all this sand fell out of the clothes and sort of scattered across the, the desk. And this is the sand from Ross Point Beach from where he was found on that day. And I found that extraordinarily visceral and... It just brought me very kind of close to to him. I mean, I was obsessed by this man in this case. And so alongside the the podcast, I also wrote a a long form story and we released it in June, which was the 10th anniversary of when he went missing. And we released the podcast over a weekend, um, over three days. And the story ran on the first on the first day and it's and called Rosita, Atlantic. It's called Atlantic and, and uh, to find the actual story in the in the paper what what what? Uh, how do people find it? Is it under his name? Under his, well, his, his assumed name? Well the story name? was called The Unsolved Mystery of Peter Bergman and the podcast is embedded within that um, so it's called Atlantic um, an Irish Times podcast so that's each episode is embedded within the story and the podcast is also on Apple Podcasts as Atlantic. Well, it's a brilliant piece of work and should have won the award, if you ask me. Um, but anyway, you also, your, your book came out elsewhere, which is well, a most... Before ex- we leave the awards, let's not forget that the Women's Podcast was also up for a journalism award. Well, so. up the Women's Podcast. <laughs> up the Women's Podcast. <laughs> thank you to our <laughs> listeners for keeping us here. Rosita, tell us about the book. Was that greeted with, with, with great delight? Well, I had a book called uh, Elsewhere, One Woman, One Rucksack, One Lifetime of Travel. It came out in May from Doubleday and it's a collection of, um, it's it's nine essays and they're set in nine different countries at nine different times of my life. So it's about nine different journeys, but they're all, they're about many other things uh, as well as the places in which they're yes, set. Yes, let's, so, let's, let's be very clear about these are not just travel pieces. Yeah, they're sort of, so there's Antarctica, there's Bali, there's Pakistan, there's England, Australia and Japan. And so they're all set in places elsewhere that I've travelled to over 30 years. But woven into each of those essays are pieces of memoir and other stories and various reflections. It's not at all straight travel in any way. So I couldn't have written that book unless I had kept diaries when I had been on my travels, because while you can recall where you went and what you did, what you can't reaccess from the past is how you felt about things at the time. And if I hadn't had my diaries, and I always keep a diary when I'm traveling, I wouldn't have been able to put myself um, psychically back in that in that place again. And I think that's what helped give it 
the authenticity that people seem to really like about it. So it's on its fourth reprinting now. Um, it's going to be the book on one in January. That is brilliant news. Yeah, it was uh, nobody more surprised than me. Than and still way up in the bestsellers and actually is a fabulous Christmas present because it's divided into what? Is it nine essays? Yeah, so there's an introduction and then there's uh, nine essays. So actually, it's, it's, it is just the most fantastic read in the sense that you can stop after an essay and then go back to it. And it tells you a lot about Rosita Boland, things you would never have known about her. Um, as I say, it's not just a collection of travel pieces, but it's unbelievably brave and sometimes jaw-dropping and really highly recommended from the Women's Podcast and from a lot of other places as well. Rosita, thanks a million for coming in. And may next year be as rich and rewarding as this year has been for you and for the rest of us. Delighted to be in here and happy Christmas to everyone. Thanks to Rosita Boland, a woman of great truth and courage. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. Next up on this episode is Roisin Ingle's conversation with the effervescent Dublin comedian Joanne McNally. After leaving a career in public relations, Joanne burst onto the comedy scene in 2014. Within a year, she had become the co-host of RTE's Republic of Telly and sold out her first solo stand-up show in Dublin. Since then, she's made the move to London and this year sold out her entire run at the Edinburgh Fringe. She's back touring Ireland in the new year with her brilliantly named show, Prosecco Express, tickets to which would make a most excellent Christmas gift. If you're down in the dumps and this weather would do that to anyone, we guarantee that this will cheer you up. Enjoy. Joanne McNally, thank you very much for coming back into the Women's Podcast. Thank what you are you up to? What am I up to? I, well, I'm in London now, um, living with four women, all single, all in their 30s which is a sitcom waiting to happen. One of them is a sexual psychologist, so I spend most of my time asking her how her day was, <laughs> trying to get information out of her, and the stories she's been telling me, like, unbelievable stuff. Um, so when I first got over there, I was like, oh God, work, 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 work. I was trying to get into the clubs, trying to get telly, blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't really enjoying it that much because I was stressed. And London is so huge, and I hadn't given it the time to kind of absorb London as a city um, so then I was like you know what I took a week off I did no work forgot about my career completely and just lived a London life went to loads of matinees went to shows um, drank way too much just walked around because the thing with London is you're always underground so I've no I'm just popping up out of a hole in, like the, a in the ground yeah like a mole <laughs> with my fa- how my phone hasn't been stolen like because I can't find my own kitchen without my GPS maps so I've just my phone out constantly <laughs> trying to find places and everything so I'm I took the pressure off for that week and was like I should probably just try and enjoy this place um, but it's it's so competitive like it's obviously if you're in a competitive industry you know you really feel the pressure of it Um but no, it's good. Like, I love London. I love it, love it, love it, love it. It's it seems so like stimulating. It's a, yeah, it it's like a bit of a rite of passage. If you think of Maeve Higgins went yeah. there and now she's in New York. Alison Spittal is there now. Yeah. There's a sort of constant stream, isn't it? It's, yeah. a, it's a sort of place you go. Deirdre Kane lived there for a long yeah. time. But the thing with comedy over here is, and we've so many great, like, we do comedy well. Like, we, like, and I ride those coattails like I benefit from the comedians the standard that we've put out before because I walk out on stage I open my mouth I have an Irish accent 
Not a Southside accent. They don't know what that is. I just sound like Bono with breasts. They don't understand. They're just like, oh, look, here's an Irish person. And they trust me because, well, I mean, it's mine to lose then. But I have them at the start because they, all the comedians that they've seen and heard of and everything. But as this, with the comedy scene in Ireland, it's, 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 it's weak, like, as in the clubs, not the acts. The clubs. There's not a, in that terms many of what clubs. you can do, where exactly. you can go, and how you can develop. I suppose. Yeah, bigger audiences and exactly. There's so little opportunity for telly mm. in Ireland for comedians. Like, there's no panel shows anymore. Republic of Telly's gone. All that's gone. Um, there's nowhere for comedians to really come up through telly anymore. Everything's in scripted now, which is great and all. If you've got two years, like that, scripted takes bloody ages. Mm. I'm in the middle of a million scripts at the moment um, I'll be dead before any of them see the light if any of them ever see the light at all so that's a shame it is a shame so you kind of you kind of have to go to the UK yeah. I feel now there's plenty of comedians who are absolutely huge and have never set foot in the UK well no actually they all pretty much set foot in the UK um, and as well it's an opportunity to get good because there's so many clubs there no one's ringing it in over there like the standard is really really, really high um, and is that um, stressful though in itself? You talked about the competitiveness and running around and knowing that there's so many good people. It's a much bigger pool of yeah. acts and it's all really strong. Does that kind of get into your head a bit? Yeah, um, you have to kind of be very focused. Like in the start, when you start, you can be really greedy and selfish and you think that like, you, you know, you, only you deserve things and why did that person get that and I deserved that and la la la. And that's a really, really terrible headspace to be in because you'll actually destroy yourself and your career and all your relationships. How do you get out of that because I think everyone not just people in comedy I think that's a, a, a sort it of is. factor of modern life because we can see every little thing that everyone's doing yeah. all the time it's just like oh I know and you could just kind of crawl underground and say oh, I can't be bothered before social media yeah. and everything you, you'd only had the opportunity to be jealous maybe once a week at lunch with your friends that is so true and now you can be jealous all the time I know you could be 24 hours it's a full time job just being jealous, jealous. and it's horrible what are you I'm a jealous correspondent and it, and I'm, just jealous. Yeah, I'm just jealous <laughs> I'm just like filled with bur- soul crushing jealousy and I it's don't the think worst. we talk enough about jealousy actually it's a very real thing it's so real and it's so corrosive and it's I think actually so destructive it that's is the thing. and I actually think I also think though it's it's part of who we are but I think women as well are very ashamed to be jealous because now if, you know these memes that go around and they're like oh there's a special place in hell for women who don't lift up with women and of course yes it's so important but because of that we're like oh god I can't even admit that I'm in any way jealous of that woman's career or what that woman has done or that woman's talent because I have to be seen to be like reposting her 24-7 and, and be seen to another, be lifting her up. Isn't there another side of that performative, oh my God, you're so amazing thing. Of where course. you're kind of looking at that going, really? I know, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, you hate her. No, but there, those par- there's parts of the human um, condition that we do our best to override uh, to make us happier people. Yes. You know? Because at the end of the day, the jealousy thing for your own self, the person who's being experiencing the jealousy it is worse for them than yeah. anybody else of course it because is because it's so paralysing yeah. isn't it like I'm competing with people who don't even know I exist <laughs> I'm sure there's people competing with me who I don't know exist like it's it's kind of a tiered system so um, how do we get out of that so have you any words of wisdom having experienced it so what I do is I focus I, tr- I actually trust myself more than I ever did before I trust myself and also what was key for me recently was realising because when I first got into comedy, I was like a rat up a drain pipe because I was, felt like I was late getting into it. I didn't start comedy till I was 30 and everyone around me had been doing comedy since they were like 20. So I felt like they had 10 years on me. Um, and in a way now, I think it's actually, I'm glad that I had lived a 
kind of professional life before I got into comedy and I worked my background is public relations which now is actually handy, handy. to have because yeah. I can PR myself yeah. um, but I realised recently there's actually more to life than work <laughs> that was part of my whole London week off going to Tina Turner in the middle of the day I was like there's actually more to life than work so if if the comedy thing doesn't happen I value myself enough that I'm like I'll just retrain do something else I'd love to be a psychologist so, like there there are other options out there um, also trust the process I'm like it's I'm with the comedy thing unless I just get no work from tomorrow on I'm not going anywhere I'm I'm still this is my job now this is my career so I just have to trust the process and just let people have their successes and all of my own little successes and it's all swings and roundabouts basically well I'm very impressed because it can be quite uh, as I said paralysing and it means that you don't get on and do the things you're meant to do Yeah, like you actually can't be creative in that space I know. because you, it's, it is a full time job and you're constantly looking around but you're not there which is brilliant do you know what's actually quite yeah. helpful as well with comedy because it's competitive and it's very public so you fail when you fail in comedy you fail very publicly and usually in front of about between 200 and 1000 people do you know what I mean like that's that's how you fail like yeah. if, when you, if you fail as a writer you probably can't see yourself failing well maybe in sales but you can't see people recoiling physically at your written word you can at a comedy gig you see it so I think actually the more you fail the de- you kind of de- you become desensitised to it. Like, I had a terrible gig recently, um, no one's fault but my own, and I walked out and went, all right, whatever. And I knew, I was like, why did that happen? And then I knew why it had happened, and I went, that's grand. That doesn't usually well, happen. What constitutes a terrible gig? Like can, you, like, can you, as you said, see people recoiling and just going, not funny? Well, yeah, you can, you can feel the vibe in the room. They're like, I, what is this? We don't like this. Who let her up there? This is not going well. She thinks she's a comedian, blah, 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 all that jazz. You can feel it. Like, that's the thing. But actually, the great thing is that now I'm just like, I'm lucky that at that, without saying like an asshole, that doesn't happen that often. Thank God. Or I'd be like on the edge of a nervous breakdown. But so when it does happen, you go, okay, what happened there? That's what happened there, Grant. And then like the next day, it's you shake it off, it's gone. Okay. And I think that that's, that's quite powerful actually to be able to do that and Absolutely. I'm only able to do that because of the job I'm in you just kind of the yeah. rejections and all you're just like oh yeah whatever but again I think it's a bit universal because it might not be as public but we all have days when we know we didn't quite do we didn't quite perform in the way we should have and that idea of just giving a little uh, forensics a little post-mortem and moving on yeah. is really important because yeah. the amount of time you can spend just like hating yourself because you did this or that or the other and you it's know? shame you're just ashamed oh. you're humiliated it's, it's shame like. but really it's not that big a deal like no. you say it's not like you're going to all your gigs are going to be cancelled for the rest of the year yeah. because you did one bad exactly. gig you know? so my shame threshold is uh, rising or lowering? What would you say? Is I say it, it's. I'm um, feeling less shame. Yeah, I think is it's it lowering. Going, it's going one way or the other. It's shifting. It's better anyway. It's better it's for improved. me. Yeah. Now I'm sure there'll be knock on course effects of that. But like I don't know, I'll probably become a criminal or something. But I I don't feel shame in the way that I used to feel oh, shame. That's so lovely to hear you say that. Yeah, it's now, great. Talk to me about this new show because it has prosecco in the title, which I'm immediately loving. The prosecco express. Yeah. Um, that was a strategy on my part because I my I love um women and like drinking with my female friends which makes me I'm not it makes me sound like I have nothing else going on I do I do other things but I do love that connection of like women drinking wine like that you know that kind of ideal thing yes. and um, we pretend we have hobbies but actually that's our favourite thing to do I'm like oh, I love the kayaking I don't I love drinking wine with girls hot yoga I love hot, hot yoga, yoga. Yeah. Um, 
I'm Everyone's actually about to start a Pilates course. Everybody. I've, I've never done it. It's I gone mental. Like, I did one class. Like I could d- definitely do with learning how to like meditate or something. My brain bounces around a lot and that's a product of my generation because our attention spans are so short now that you have to kind of push yourself to read a Facebook post longer than 100 words. You're like, Jesus, what's this novel now gone up? Um, whereas back before, like we, we could read, I used to read books as a child. I don't remember ever struggling with reading books as a child. Now I have to remind myself, go back and read the book go back and read the book go back and read the book what was the question? <laughs> I actually don't know what the question was ah, see? are you actually forgetting the yeah, question? yeah what's the question? What was it? Well, we were talking about Prosecco yeah Prosecco. so I called my fr- my last year's show you're just like a goldfish thing going I know, on there I know it's terrible it? isn't it? imagine trying to I'm trying to write with that brain like three words a week um, that's why Twitter's great um, so I called my my show last year was called Wine Tamer and because when you do an Edinburgh you're trying to cut through you have to be, it's like podcasts. You have to make it very obvious. Do your best to make it obvious. Um, so Wine Tamer worked for me because I would just go up to massive groups of women um, who were drinking during the day. My faves, my tribe, my tribes, and go up and, and they would get, come in. And then once they're in, you can kind of do whatever you want with them, really, once you make them laugh. but So the Prosecco Express was the reason for that but then what happened was because I had a name that I was like okay I'll build the show around and I had all these plans to write a show about DNA and destiny and all that jazz and I I always kind of just go back to relationships and love and my mother and marriage and all those things Um, so then the show became about the fact that me as a 36 year old woman spend most of my free time at other people's life events celebrating their life events drinking their Prosecco out of jam jars because they've all taken of our glasses away. jam jars, yes. And yeah. uh, celebrating their life choices and I haven't done any of those things. So marriage, babies, no pension, I don't own a home, I haven't birthed anything. So what happens to you if you do and what happens to you if you don't? So that was kind of the starting point of the show and that's what the show and is And is there, about. it sounds like, so we're going back to the jealousy thing, is, it's not a, is it in a bitter way, resentful way no. or are you kind of just saying this is, not everyone goes through those things because there's yeah. an interesting conversation going on at the moment about you know, actually, I read a very good article. I think it was in The Guardian talking about how women have kind of realized that being alone is not the worst thing in the world. I know, I know. And I think, I mean, and before when I've read things like that, I've kind of thought, yeah, it sort of sounds a bit too, I protest too much. But I really look at women now and I see them actually mm. understanding on a really visceral level that if you don't end up with someone and if you don't give birth to things, yeah. there is a whole world and a life there that's absolutely satisfying. I know. And it's not something to be scared about. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So I love that. I think that, so what, <clears throat> my point is that there's obviously a reason why I haven't done those things yet. What they are, I'm not entirely sure and I'm not going to pay to find out because I'd probably be in therapy until the day I die. But I, So I don't know. But there's a reason why I haven't. So, But I, I do like the idea of belonging to something, like a unit. Like I do like the idea of a family unit and kind of like, you know, building something with someone and I would like to belong to something other than whatever Costa Coffee loyalty scheme. There is that. I do have that desire. So it's exploring like is marriage everything it's cracked up to be? But but it's in a curious way, not a bitter way. Do you know that way? It's like, what happens when what happens when you drop? Because sometimes I think everyone's kind of working towards that. Meeting someone, marrying them, like that's the end point. It's like when, it's like, I was going to say when I was adopted, I still am. <laughs> but like when I thought about meeting my birth parents, I saw that as the last, I didn't think about what happens after that. And I think people can be the same with marriage and, and kids. And like I say, like, because now I've seen people marry, have kids. When we were young, they were going off into the abyss. We, we we didn't know. We didn't know what was going on in their lives after that, really. 
But now, of course, people are kind of, I have friends who were getting separated. I have friends who are on their second marriage. So you're like, oh my God, you know how hard it is now? Um, and that in itself is interesting because now you're like, oh God, now I have to make informed decisions. Whereas before I was free to just make... as long as you got that. Ill, in, uninformed decisions. Whereas now I've seen <clears throat> all the aftermath and I've seen people <clears throat> tell you now, you know, motherhood and they talk about how difficult it is and marriage and they talk about how difficult it is. And now you're going, well, hold on a second now. Is that all it's cracked up to be? You know, and that is kind of the the where the show kind I of jumps off. I love that idea, and but also just having prosecco there that would get me in the door, and exactly. then I, then I'd be like, I'm manipulating oh God, you. Yeah, I love it. And then she's talking about all this stuff, which is really interesting. And you said you were living with four single women. Yeah. So are you getting a lot of material? Are they similar age to you? Are yeah. they experiencing the same? Are they English people? One, one's um. Two Welsh, one English, one Irish. So it's like a dating frenzy in the house. Like, I'd say we're keeping Hinge and Bumble and Tinder going. Is Hinge one now? I haven't heard Hinge of Hinge. Hinge is one over there, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what's the so difference I'm kind Hinge? of like, I'm, I'm, I can be kind of socially kind of lazy because I work nights and la, la, la. Um, but I was like, I need to start dating again. And like this, don't don't tell the English man this okay. now. But it's for content. <laughs> Right, I won't tell anybody. Don't tell them that. Um, but I'm like, I need to just kind of figure out, I remember what's going on. Um, but we're like swiping our lives way over in the house. Is and everyone in the house literally on the couch swiping yeah, and some talking of them are about it? Yeah, some of them are better than others. We're like, have you swiped? You haven't swiped in a week, Siobhan. Come on. You said you were going to start swiping again this week now. Come on. Gosh. Yeah, because you can be lazy. You see, John, I'm of the age where I have never done that. Yeah. I never will do that. I can't uh, even imagine doing it. And I... I just know that that's the way of life now. Yeah. There's no none of this kind of oh, it's a bit weird. Like it's not weird. Like, it's, it's not totally weird, normal. But I will say that you there's does no. Does anyone meet anyone though in a normal like yeah, walking the dog Which, in the park, like out for a drink? Well, someone... I think that's why they say a lot of the clubs are closing down because people don't have to leave the house to meet people now, and that's why the likes of ninety two and all are gone. So outsourced now. I know. To the apps. But it does mean that you don't have to go out and get absolutely pissed out of your that face. That's true. There's to go a lot on a of date. Yeah. But it, there's also no accounting for chemistry. I think. True. And do people introduce people to each other? Do they do that kind of thing where they kind of oh, I think you'd like my yeah. friend or yeah. yeah. And like I met a guy on a, I went for a, for on a date with a guy recently, and he's uh he was fascinating, really interesting guy. Did I, I I didn't want it, I didn't fancy him. There was no like sparky you spark didn't want to spark. Kiss him, no. no, but he messaged me after, um, which I ignored because in my defence, I don't know what the etiquette is there. If you've only been on one date, like what I'd prefer to just be ignored. Like I don't want the kind of like, do you know what? I think you're really nice. It, yeah, after I didn't one feel, date, it's one date. That, so yeah. I just ignored it. Anyway, he contacted me again a couple of weeks later, and he said, "Listen, obviously there was no vibe there. That's grand, but I really enjoyed your company. So if you want to kind of get a platonic thing going, so you made a friend. I made a friend with an Englishman. With it, well, he's actually South African, uh-huh. and he's he's doing his PhD in." How, why people repeat the same patterns in relationships. He is a great ding, friend ding, ding. to have. I know, I know. Oh my God, what a great friend. So I'll be harvesting him out to other women, no Absolutely. problem. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So you'll be swapping him. So the Prosecco Express, it's about all that. It's about those life, big life moments that you were supposed to have, that you haven't had. Babies. That your friends have realised weren't up to all that much and are yeah. re-evaluating their decisions. Exactly. And it's also like... Comedy, so like I mean, you're I mean you're not going to really. Well, Joanne, you, I'm not reinventing no, the wheel here. Anytime you know I, mean? I see you standing up anywhere talking about anything, I'm just cracking up. You Thank are you, such a funny, funny person, Thanks. and I bet you must add to the gaiety of your little house share there. I hope so. But like one of the girls, did I say this already? She's a sexual psychologist. At the so that I mean, like that's she's the one who kind of keeps the house going. She fuels the house. 
What kind of um, a housemate are you? Are you uh, leaving things to get mouldy in the fridge? You have notes saying yeah. this is mine. What what kind of a? No, I'm the one who comes in, pissed and eats your hummus. And that is it. That is that's literally that's what happened last week. <laughs> what did they go mad? There was there was a WhatsApp discussion. Oh, you have your WhatsApp, do you? Yeah. So, oh, came and pissed and ate the hummus. Did you have that's to? Me. That's the housemate I am. So did you have to admit to that after it was pointed out the hummus was gone or did you freely admit it first of all? I I so was it po- I didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> ah, and uh, there was a picture of the hummus tub put in the WhatsApp group going who and I, then you're like, "Oh god, I hate myself already today and now I hate myself even more." But I like so I went out, bought they... four pots of hummus, a bottle of wine and a sorry card. You have to be respectful of other people's hummus. Homeless gate. Homeless gate. That's me. That's the housemate I am. You, like, you don't want to live with me. And you all have your own rooms, obviously. You're not sharing. Yeah, right? no, I'm, I'm, so I love my room. With this dating kind of um, turnstile mm-hmm. happening, is there lots of men, or have you got rules around the, the men coming in? No, or I mean, we're not. Or, the, men, or women. I don't know if any of them with same sex. They're partners. all straight, actually. But no, there's no. I mean, we're not doing that well that there has to be rules put in place. <laughs> Although one of the girls apparently did bring a, a, a guy home from an Uber share. <laughs> I know I was like that's so exciting Um, yes there's a bit of that going on but like no it's not like there's a constant train of like half dressed men in the kitchen we need to up our game really so have you got a kind of I want to try London for X amount of years and if I haven't kind of progressed I've no or are you kind of just enjoying it I'm enjoying it I mean I I would like to think I'd have the two. That would be my goal to keep like to keep the two mm. going because I love what I'm building here and I love the excitement of trying to build something over there. Um, and I also think you know the way like Irish telly channels and all they love a bit of success in England. Like if you get a walk on ad and a, you know what I mean, you <laughs> yeah. could be it could be in a TikTok ad in the UK and they're like, oh Jesus, the English liker put her on RTE. There's a there's a lot of that like. I know, yeah. Um, so I hope that whatever I build over there can kind of spill back over here or whatever. Or if I build nothing over there, I'll come back and have a very lovely, enjoyable career here, I hope. Do you know I that kind of way? your attitude is excellent. And tell me this, what's it like, Brexit Britain? Have you any observations on that? Just, is it something you talk about in your house? Is it like... Yeah, there's a bit of chat about it. My, my main vibe of Brexit is if I hear another comedian do another Brexit joke, I'm going to lose my mind and that's only because I'm in clubs all the time and it's such there's so much chat over it I am naively thinking it won't really affect me <laughs> I don't know like will it I don't think so there's a lot of talk over there about like the Irish border and all I just I just try not to get involved really as Andrew Maxwell says it's not an Irish border it's an English border oh, yeah. <laughs> you built it not us and also um, you know in the Prosecco Express we can't we won't be expecting Boris Johnson references oh, or anything there, like that. If you're coming if you're coming for political information <laughs> it's not the show for you okay. you're not going to learn anything so you're going all over Ireland, aren't you? Yeah. Tell us a few of the dates, a few of the ones you're looking forward to. Vicker Street. Vicker Street's on April 25th. Um, then before that, I'm in Belfast. I'm in Cork. I'm in, uh, where am I? Go- I have two nights in the town hall in Galway. I have, I think. Belfast. I Belfast. Belfast. Said Belfast. Yeah, I said Belfast. Sorry. I'm in Meads. And it's all up on my website, dramacnally.com. And it's all between January and April next year. Okay, brilliant. Well, I'm definitely going to go and see you. Thank you. you. Come to uh, Vicker Street. Vicker Street, I will. Yeah. And I'll bring Bring some, the I'll, kids. I'm going to bring, no, I'm not bringing my kids <laughs> to see Joanne McNally. That would be a bad I'll mistake. Um, but I'll bring a bottle of Prosecco or maybe buy Two. one there. Yeah, and yeah. definitely, I think Prosecco and listening to you, great night out. Can't think of anything better. And you can get your own champagne flute. You are not forced to drink Prosecco out of a jam jar.
We're oh, all adults that here. is good. Yeah, okay. we don't need straws either. No straws. Yeah, or little wildflowers attached to them. Have you seen the metal? The, reso- the people are bringing around their own metal reusable straws now. No. Yeah. No. I'm like, just use your mouth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Thank you, Greta. <laughs> yes, love a bit of Greta. Um, thank you very much, Joanne. Thank you, Roisin. And that's it for today. Thanks to our guests, Rosita Boland and Joanne McNally. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The Women's Podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and until next time, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.